it is okay to project myself as a human being. It is okay to show myself to people because you're relatable. You're more relatable to them and you will attract the types of people into your practice that you want to be working with. The future of dentistry belongs to the innovators. Welcome to Innovation in Dentistry. I'm your host, Sean Zayas, and I believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades, but the question isn't that. The question is, are you going to be part of what makes dentistry great? So today I get the opportunity to be with Dr. Alan Stern, and I am beyond excited to be with you, doctor. Uh, but before I set you up, let me just say thank you so much for joining me today. It is a pleasure. We've known each other for about a year, and um, I just love being in your company. So yeah, let's have some fun. So Alan, innovation in dentistry can mean so many different things, right? There's like clinical innovation, there's technological innovation, there's different innovations in business models that shape dentistry. But at the heart of all of it, there's some crazy person that has some mindset or belief set that says, why not me? Like, why can't I step up and lead? And right now, the way that you're pioneering, the way that you're leading uh, with your book, with the way that you speak, I absolutely love it. Um, but before we even get into all that, what, like, how did you even get into this crazy industry called dentistry? Well, first of all, thank you. That, that was, that was really generous. And it means a lot to me that a gentleman of your caliber thinks so highly. How did I get into dentistry? <laughs> I got rejected from medical school. How else do you get into dentistry? Come on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like anything else, Sean. Um, you have an adversity in your life, it hits you in the face, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you say, now what? And I was uh, rejected by 23 medical schools at the end of college. Uh, my mother also got very seriously ill at that time, and I actually had to drop out of college four months before graduation. I had to, to drop all my classes because mom was sick. and. So it went that I had to go an extra um, uh, six months to finish up my BA. And I got a job in a retail store. And I was cruising along just fine. I figured, hey, what the heck? Why go through all this nonsense if I have a job? And pivotal moment, I went to my, my best friend was, um, his dad was my dentist. And we went out to the swim club with uh, Mark and Dr. Bob and their family. And Dr. Bob said, and Mark was off to medical school. Mark is a very well-known cardiologist out in LA. But Dr. Bob said to me, uh, so what are you doing with yourself? I said, Dr. Bob, I'm just working at the store and having a good time. And Dr. Bob used some language that I don't really want to use. This is family radio. <laughs> but he said, um, how would we say it? Stop reproducing around and <laughs> go to dental school. And I said, Dr. Bob, I don't want to stick my fingers in people's mouths. Said, Come on, Alan, grow up. Stop reproducing around. Come watch me in my office. And I went down to Dr. Bob's office and I saw, look over his shoulders. And man, there was this beloved guy playing around with things, making people happy. And he had a powerful relationship with all, he was relationship before relationship was fashionable. 
And he was the community doc. And the people in his office were with him for decades. It was like going to Dr. Bob and another family. I said, yeah, I can do this. I was going to say, you don't know how many stories I've heard where it started with a dentist actually coming alongside someone else and being like, hey, like, what are you up to? Why don't you come check out what I'm doing? Like, like this is probably the fourth or fifth time I've heard this. Really? And I'm just wondering, like, do dentists still do this? Like, are you responsible at all for being with some, you know, uh, younger individual and, and being like, hey, come check out my practice? Like, does this still happen? Yes. Yes, it does. And I apologize to all those kids that I've mentored who are now suffering <laughs> in dental school. <laughs> I'm in touch with a batch of them. And um, by the way, I, I just started a dental student coaching group that I do for free for dental students. And it, it's very gratifying. We'll, we'll, we'll joke about this all we want. Humor is a very important part of who I am and what I do and why I do it. But yeah, you can... You can influence somebody with your passion. Absolutely. And it's contagious. Okay. So Alan, you get invited. You see that this guy is getting to, I don't know, improve lives and have a great time. Was it something where you just realized like, okay, I can see myself doing this. Did you still have some hesitation at that time? Well, it was definitely plan B. And sometimes even to this day, I feel like, um, a square peg in the round hole of dentistry because my technical skills are good. I've worked very hard to get the technical skills that I've had, probably harder than most, but it wasn't natural for me. What I'm doing now is natural for me, and we could get into this later a little bit, but I've made a good career out of dentistry, a really good career, and I've learned a lot of painful lessons, and I've used those lessons to make my life a whole lot better. So I've got no regrets, but it was absolutely plan B. It was absolutely something I did not imagine myself doing. But hell, as long as I was doing it, I'm in this far. I might as well make the most of it. And I just dug in and so did you, some very, very good stuff. So you graduate dental school and then like what? The, what's, what's the first five years look like? Are you doing an associateship? Because at, at that time, I think people also were just like crazy enough to try to get their own practice. Is that something you dove into? Well, no. First five years, darker hair, a beard. Uh, <laughs> not as muscular as I am now. That's, that's the truth. Um, the first five years, um, I graduated dental school as a very insecure individual. Hmm. Uh, had three letters after my name, but not a whole lot else. Not a lot of self-esteem, not a lot of self-efficacy. And so I did a GPR for a year. And then I worked for somebody for five years before I decided to open my own office. So I really was not re uh, very confident in, uh, I, was not, I wasn't bold. I was not bold. I, I dipped my toes into the water. And remember at the time that I graduated, <clears throat> it was 1981 and the interest rates were about 17%. Inflation and recession were upon us. It was the end of the Carter years and the beginning of the Reagan years. So the economy was in a very, very bumpy transition. So that made it, made it hard for 1981 graduates to go out and, and open on their own. So when you made that leap, was that something that because of, like you saying, kind of not feeling super confident at the time, was, did that feel like a big risky decision for you to step out when you did? 
or at that time, was it just something that seemed like the next logical kind of decision? It was um, the realization, Sean, that my employer was clearly not interested in anything other than exploiting me for as long as he could. Mm. And he presented me with contracts in terms of partnership that were 100%, I wouldn't say unacceptable, I would say repugnant. Wow. And that, that was, God, Sean, that was 36 years ago. And my good friend and my mentor, my coach, Mark LeBlanc, um, growth, he says, growth happens at the intersection of anger and opportunity. And I was mad as hell. I was really upset. My wife had just given birth to my son. I was promised a partnership. And I was given a contract that nobody in their right mind would even pick up off the tabletop, let alone read, let alone sign. So I decided at that point that I would just kind of smile and carry on in the capacity I was at. And I planned my office. I planned it ethically and honestly. I had a restrictive covenant. I was not going to mess with that. Absolutely. Um, as awful as um, the business dealings were at the time, I decided I was going to stay above board. I opened my office some 30 miles away from dead scratch with nothing but loans. Oh my and gosh. I worked for a corporate office three days a week. I worked my office, my own office three days a week. Two of those days were nights and you know, I rolled up my, no, it's uh-huh. Yeah. Not uh-uh. It's uh-huh. And I, you know why Sean, because all of that junk made me what I am today. And well, I was gonna say, so what does that like five years look like or 10 years look like? So you're in private practice. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you're, you're just, you're hustling. You're doing everything you can. Uh, you have this newborn, uh, you have this family you're providing for. Um, you said you're still not exactly sure who Alan is in a way of like owning it, be at pe being at peace with it, like, like aligning your strengths and, and fulfillment. Um, but yet you're still giving it your all. Yeah. Like this seems like a really pivotal transformative time in your life. Um, what, what, what did that decade look like? The piv pivotal transformation came very late in my career. Um, I did a lot as, as a practicing dentist. I still do a lot. I got involved in community affairs. I got involved in my synagogue. I got involved in a movement to stop an inc garbage incinerator from being built in my town. And we beat Westinghouse Corporation. Wow. We, we did so many things. And I used my credibility as with the title doctor to, to really help a cause that I believed in. Um, all the while doing the good things of dentistry that I did. Um, but I'm, I'm just building up. Uh, it seems like the first 30 some years of my career <coughs> were designed to make me realize who I am. And it wasn't until I paid the price for business mistakes that I made and I own every one of them. I hired a financial advisor who was not right for me. I hope you can edit this out. My throat is uh, still, I'm recovering from a bad sinusitis. <coughs> Um, give me a pause for just one second. Hey, no worries. <coughs> uh, 
we go to the God of Halls here. <laughs> it works. Yeah. I, I didn't have time to bring a glass of water up. Um, I hired a financial advisor who was not right for me. Why? Because the rich guys hired him. I bought a house that was a little bit out of my range because I felt that I deserved that house. Mm. And I did because I'm a nice guy. I bought a Lexus. I had the wrong marketing firm guide me to a weekly radio spot, which I love. You know how much I love speaking. And man, five minutes on the radio on, on morning, morning drive show. Wowie. And you're gifted at that. Yeah. And what wound up, and I hired the wrong, the, the wrong financial planner. And it left me, all of these things left me about 200 plus thousand dollars in debt with no increase in income to pay for it in my late forties and early fifties. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like that, that's not supposed to be mm -mm. what the dream of dentistry takes you to, right? Mm -mm. Like this is where you're supposed to be getting, um, this wide base of, of financial freedom and investments and money to set aside so that you can retire at, at will. Don't forget about the boat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I didn't get a boat. I was too smart for that. I get seasick, so I didn't go there. <laughs> so I was languishing. And in my, it had to have been in my early to mid-50s, I found the right financial advisor. And um, this gentleman is old enough to be my son. And he looks at me and he says, he, and my, Fran, my wife and I were sitting with him. He said, um, how does $3,000 a month sound to you in retirement? <sighs> you want to talk about pivotal? You want to talk about a gut punch? I said, well, what do we do? And he set a plan, he put us on a plan and he said, Alan, I want you to sell your house. So what? My house, my status in a beautiful neighborhood, a beautiful house where all the people are. Alan, look at the numbers. Your kids don't need the school system anymore. They're out of high school. Sell your house. And this is a, a very condensed version of a long story. I sold my house. I gave up the radio spot, but I kept the Lexus. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at that mo at that time, it wasn't that long ago. I cried. I absolutely, in the fullest sense of the word, I cried. I drove past the old house wondering what I did wrong or what if. But then something happened. We had a cash flow. We had money. So Sean Zayas comes into the office and I present to Sean five crowns, two root canals, and a partridge in a pear tree. And Sean Zayas says to buzz off in four words, I'll think about it, and leaves the office and never comes back. Yeah, okay. Before it was the end of the world. And we had money to go on vacation like we like. We had money for personal trainers and nutritionists, which are very important for my wife and me. Mm. And that's, that was the moment when I realized I'm good. And then I, I speak to a lot of dentists, Sean, and people like to talk to me. I have no idea why, but they do. And I realized that many dentists are in the same position that I'm in. 
So I am. I figured out. I added two and two, and my goodness, my role in life is to help Dennis reverse the misery, experience the joy, and understand that they do sacred work in the world that can make them a very comfortable living if they know how to do it. That was pivotal for me, and that's that. And I now live with that intent. I mean, Alan, that's a big deal to have to be faced with this crossroad where it's like, <clears throat> here is, I don't know, the superficial dream, the, the, the status, which means so much to our sense of worth, right? Our sense of ego. Here you are, you've sacrificed as a dentist. You've done all these things so that you could have, again, whatever that, that dream is. Mm-hmm. And yet to have the courage to look at that and be like, that doesn't define me. That isn't who I am. That doesn't bring fulfillment. And yet taking care of my wife, uh, us being able to be healthy and experience the joy of getting to travel and do what we want is so much more important. Mm-hmm. And it's about dentistry on my terms. Like that must have been one of those things where almost like you kind of stare down a fear and yet you realize on the other end of it, you get liberated. And you realize yeah. why, like, like if I could help, someone get free of this 20 years earlier Mm -hmm. but yet you had to walk through that yes so that that actual lesson um that i don't know like so many times we want to uh, erase the challenges in our life we want to erase those difficulties those low points and yet therein lies the goal that can truly help define who we are and allow us to realize the giftings that we have to serve people but sure, I didn't people. know it in the moment. Right, right. <laughs> it's terrible in the moment. I, it was, yeah, it, it was miserable. And I'll tell you, um, I have no problem saying I used, I got lucky and I found a world-renowned therapist to help me through my struggles. Unfortunately, Dr. Arnold Lazarus passed away a number of years ago. Mm. I wish he could see me now because the work he did with me was, was life-changing. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Dana Ackley, is a peak performance coach. He applied Dr. Lazarus's principles to active dental practice. And the, there's a handful of guys that I can look at, men and women, and I sa- I've said to them, I wouldn't be me if it weren't for you. And yeah, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And adversity is adversity. I mean, it's not funny living paycheck to paycheck in your 50s. It's not funny when when a professional tells you 3,000 a month and that's it for you, pal. That's not funny. But if you understand at the same time, and this is what I'm trying to explain to the people I work with, that this is happening for a reason. You just got to find it. And we worked with them to try and find that reason and also to just shape their careers a little bit so that they can pursue their own version of success. My version of success is this. My version of success is a guy like you calling a guy like me and saying, hey, I want to interview you for my podcast because you have a message. That does it for me. Do I? And you know, I had one dentist challenge me privately in a very disparaging, condescending way. Dentists want to know how much you make. I make enough. I make enough. 
Fran and I, my wife and I, define what enough is. And could we have more? Yeah. Could we have less? Yeah. What makes us any different than all but one human being in the world? Or two, the one who has the most and the one who has the least. There's only two people like that in the world. Yeah. Then there's the rest of us. So, no, it is not about comparing your material wealth to anybody else's. Mine is just fine. I could stop working tomorrow and I could live. <clears throat> I'm not going to. But I can because I did what I had to do. I made the sacrifices. But, you know, if your version of happiness, Sean, is, um, you know, three Mercedes in the lot with a Tesla on the way and a vacation home in every resort city in the world, great, go find it. But there's a price to pay for that. Are you willing and are you able to pay that price? I was not. You know, and Alan, I also hear the stories about the people that arrive at that destination, that elusive destination, and they get there and they look around and honestly, they don't have the people that they love anymore. Mm -hmm. um, in that moment, after the grind, after the sacrifices that they shouldn't have made, they look around and realize they're not connected anymore to their spouse. Mm -hmm. They don't know their kids. And that's when it hits them. This entire time I've been chasing something that left me completely alone. And it doesn't or, mean anything. I, I have no one to share it with. Yeah. Or here's even better. And this one I've seen where somebody is attached to further and further material gains and is never happy when they get to this point. Yeah, they they never get about. it. You're right. Because it keeps. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I talk about um, I'll give away one of the standard lines I use in almost every talk I give. We are endowed in this country with three unalienable rights, Sean. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of a Tesla. No, no. The pursuit of a big house. No. The pursuit of happiness. And happiness is for each of us to define. And that, so, that's that happiness in practice, happiness in life, happiness in family, happiness in your physical well-being. So you said earlier, um, people like to talk to you and it makes so much sense to me. Uh, I think it was maybe eight years ago. Um, I had already been in dentistry for about eight years, I think, um, kind of working with my dad's business, mm -hmm. uh, doing a little bit of stuff on the side. And I was really getting disillusioned in dentistry because guess what? I didn't like dentists because I would talk to them oh, and be like, oh, Hey, Oh, what are you doing with me then? <laughs> Here, there's a redemptive side of this. And I talked to them and I'd be like, hey, like, how are things going? Or, you know, um, and of course, I'm not a dentist, right? So right away, they're like, oh, things are great. I'm crushing it. Like, I'm like pretty much every single response was, I'm living my best life and I'm crushing it. I don't need any help. And call, I wasn't looking like I, I wasn't a coach. I was selling. Um, manual toothbrushes at the time mm -hmm. and i was at trade shows but i was just trying to connect to the humanity in them to find out if they were experiencing any pain like i was mm -hmm. if they were struggling at all with business like i was if they had any identity issues of finding just just normal things i was trying to connect with that and all i was getting was these fake um i'm crushing it i'm a machine i can't relate to you and then i met dr allison house 
Ah. Then I met Dr. Chris Volchek, and those two people were unafraid and had the courage to just be who they were Mm -hmm. and share with me the reality of what was going on. And they kept me in dentistry. And I realized there is this shift now that's been happening, I think, for like a decade where it just seems like because of pioneers like you, because of amazing dentists like Dr. House, where it's like you don't have to fake it. You don't have to have this, uh, have it all figured out. You now have permission to just share where you're at in the struggle. And I think that is so beautiful and so liberating. And that's exactly why people are drawn to you, Alan, because you have the courage to just shoot straight and be honest and be an open book and be like, hey, look, if any of my pain, if any of my struggles can help you, you share generously. Yeah. And I just want to honor you for that. Thank you. That that is really kind. And um, I can, I'll go a little bit deeper later on in the interview as to what this does for me, but a comment like that from the likes of you means more to me than you could ever, ever imagine. Um, I was, um, I am the son of a Holocaust survivor um, who experienced pain from, from the outside and pain on the inside. Uh, her survivor's guilt was horrible. Her parents were killed and she was not. Um, she married an abusive, self-hating narcissist who pounded on her and on me every opportunity that individual got. So that's your father? What's that? That's your father? No comment. (laughs) Draw whatever conclusion you want. Um, um, I'll tell you that um, I came out of my childhood and into dental school with two beliefs that were very, very difficult to deal with. One was my hero mother's paradigm of the world that Jewish people were put in the world to suffer. How, you know, how do you blame her for that? And two, that I'm kind of sort of worthless from the other side of it. And so when I hear things like that coming from the likes of you, it touches my soul in a way that um, you don't even know how deeply that that affects me in a very positive way, what the universe is telling me. So I do appreciate that much more than words can imagine. And it also goes to one of the things that I do by intent in almost every interaction I have, just say something nice. I go to buy something in a store, I'll say something nice. Why? Because it helps somebody. You don't know what kind of garbage somebody's carrying around on any given day. And if you could be the source of a little bit of, a, of an aspirin to relieve that pain for just a moment, that's cool. So I, I've learned from receiving things like this, that the more I give them, not based on BS, not based on anything that I make up, just on observation, the more I validate another human being's existence. That's so important. So thank you for that. And keep doing it. Thank you. Uh, Alan, when did you... Um, when did you even have the courage to start like letting it in and start believing that you could be worthy, right? Because you grow up with this lie. You grow up feeling like you don't have anything to give. You're never enough, right? You're insufficient. All these lies, this oppression. When did you all of a sudden start having the courage to be like, maybe that's not true. Maybe what my wife says about me or these people say about me, I can actually start letting it in. Yeah. Uh, well, Part one, I married the right girl. 
46 years later, five of the best years of her life, by the way. Uh, <laughs> she got five good years out of it, so she's got nothing to complain about at all. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. That was good. <laughs> um, we have two beautiful children. Uh, they're just fantastic young adults. I, I just effusive in my, my praise of them and how proud I am that I was able to co-parent in a way that I was not parented. Wow. That was really cool. I That's a miracle, more. by the way. That's a miracle oh, to be it, able oh, to sure is. do what you did not see. And instead yeah. of at that point where you can either succumb to the nature that you have and what you saw, actually choose a different path and say, that is not me. That's yeah. not who I am. I that's will right. not continue that. Like yeah. That's amazing. Yes. And I'm, it's not to say I don't have that wiring back here that I have to overcome, that I have to just yep. redirect. But yeah, you can do it. But I think when I started, you know, the wrong financial advisor from years ago had some very disparaging words about my practice, that it wasn't the $10 zillion practice that this individual wanted me to have in order that I can get what he thought I should have. The right coach came along and this relatively unknown woman out in Oregon named Marilee Sears I, I, had, I was done with coaches. I was done with consultants. I had blown so much money on them. And Fran, my wife, felt the same way. And Jess, our hygienist, who's been with us for 15 years and is really emotionally and she's totally vested in the practice and in Fran and me as we are in her. She said, no, nah, you don't want to do that crap again. And I said, give this woman a listen. And we did. And we wound up entering into a coaching, a consulting relationship with her. And she helped me turn my practice around. And Marilee is also old enough to be my daughter. And she really caused me to believe in myself and figuratively held a mirror in front of me and said, look at, look at you, look what you've done. You have a gift to the world. You did this. You got to show others to do it. That was the a little bit below the ground floor of better richer stronger and i i know i have a gift for speaking so i joined scn i joined vanessa emerson's group also jumpstart or weevolution i ran into mark leblanc who is my speaking and business coach i ran into margie schaller who's my one of my speaking coaches and Mark says to me, you're writing a book. Now, Mark, I'm too damn busy to write a book. He says, you're writing a book. <laughs> but, 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 Alan, you're writing a book. There it is. And book number two is on the way, by the way. Um, and that's... And, the, and you're sending me a signed copy? Is that is that what the oh, agreement? Oh, damn right. <laughs> do, do you have, you have enjoyed the ride or not? Oh, I do. It's, it's oh, okay. behind me on my shelf. I, yeah. Yeah, this one is going to be called Destination You, Wit, Wisdom, and a Glass of W-H-I-N-E. And it's <laughs> 18 or 20 Alanisms. Oh, I love that. And it goes to some of the things you're talking about. Show me a person without stress, and I'll show you a cadaver. Uh, show me a person whose life is a perfect storybook, and I'll show you a liar. Um, don't let your hormones overtake your intellect. Well, I was going to say, not just a liar, but 
a coward because it actually yeah, yeah. takes courage to just show yourself to the world. Yes. Right where you're at, the way you're at in process, in journey, like every other human being. And you know what, Sean, we are so inculcated in school and physicians have this problem also that we have to be invincible. You know, you're laying in the chair and you're, uh, I'm going to fix your teeth like nobody else can because I am the greatest, right? Nobody can do it like me. So I have to project that. No. It is okay to project myself as a human being. It is okay to show myself to people because you're relatable. You're more relatable to them and you will attract the types of people into your practice that you want to be working with. You know, we had one incident a couple of weeks ago, Mr. McNasty came into the office and he slipped through the cracks and there was a miscommunication, an entirely goodwilled miscommunication. He barged into the office screaming. That doesn't happen. I, I was totally taken aback. I took care of the problem and I asked him to please find another dentist because you don't belong here. Yeah. Now that's what I said, but I was, what I was thinking was very New Jersey. We won't repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you're treating people that you like, first of all, outcomes are better. It's much less stressful. And we have so much fun day to day. Bad dad jokes come out of my mouth day in and day out. Everybody gets a laugh. Everybody gets good dentistry. The work we take seriously. But we also take, you know, that psyche part that we treat and we take that very seriously. And I want people comfortable and at ease with me. And I want to be at ease with them. Hmm. I don't need, I don't need Mr. McNasty sitting there looking me in the face and say, man, oh man, if you just so much as flinch, I'm going to jump on you. I don't need that. And nobody needs that. I don't think any dentist in their right mind should be treating people who are hostile. And uh, Dr. Pankey said, never work on a stranger. Take that to heart. Wow. Never, ever work on a stranger. You did That's a really profound. good job, Sean, when you were in dental sales uh, um, at the trade shows, you tried to get to know these guys first. Not here. Hey, I got the latest and greatest for you. Why don't you come see this? I've got the answer to cancer right here. No. Hey, Doc, how you doing? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your practice. Maybe I have something for you. Maybe I don't, but let me get to know you. That's the way you select for customers or clients or patients that you'll enjoy working with and who will pay you with gratitude. Well, you put words to what I talk about all the time. So like the, the, the branding side of me, that's always wanting to brand something and help dentists is like, Hey guys, like the best way to differentiate yourself and set it up so that there's like a moat around your practice where other people really can't compete with you is to find out who you are authentically and to just own that. Cause no one else can compete with that. Yeah. And if you happen to attract people according to the way that you're wired, uh, according to your passion, uh, your perspective, then all of a sudden there's a fit. But if you're attracting them based off of the modeling you think you have to do to become the best dentist or uh, the performance that you think you have to do to be like that one dentist you like growing up, mm -hmm. well, then you're faking it every day. And subconsciously, people can tell if you're not really being you. Yeah. And they don't know what it is, but it just seems off. And there's not a real connection, like yes, heart to heart, soul to soul, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. So people don't actually sense that they belong in your practice. Yeah. 
where you, they know you because you have the courage to just show who you are that attracts the kind of people that are going to almost um, connect and jive. And then it's like family. You just get to enjoy the people yep. that are coming to your practice instead of being like, man, why do I keep attracting yeah. all these people that I don't like to be around? And now all of a sudden I'm miserable. And clinical so, outcomes are better. Yeah. They're just better when you're just in your groove and not worrying about any, any nonsense that might get thrown at you. In fact, so you're sitting in my chair. I like you, or at least I could pretend to. <laughs> and so I'm going to sit down and I'm going to focus. I like this guy. Let's see what I can do here. Rather okay, than so I, I want to get to your how you're leading right now, what you're doing. But before, if I could just take one pit stop, and if you don't want to talk about this, this is totally fine. Um, but I'm very curious as to how your life was shaped having the mother that you had um, simply because it wasn't too long ago that I read Dr. Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And yeah. that book, I, I was hooked. I couldn't stop reading it. I just needed to know what was it like? Um, what was it like to the psyche of a person um, that was going through this? So again, if this is something that you don't want to talk about, no, I, I can respect that completely. Oh, no, no, no. Um... I can't, uh, just warning, I can break down when I talk about this. Okay. So if you really want to know what went through my mother's head, Elie Wiesel wrote a book called Night. He actually wrote a, a trilogy of books about his Holocaust experience. Some of the stuff that Elie Wiesel wrote were things that my mother expressed to me. Wow. She didn't talk too much about it, but she did do an interview with my son when he was 12 years old. My son is now 37. It was an adolescent interview, very amateurish on a really crummy VCR. But her, her descriptions were beyond belief. My mother, um, my mother self-inflicted a lot of things on herself. I'm not going to go too much into detail with it, uh, other than to tell you that she used to have dreams that the Nazis were coming after her and she scratched their eyes out. She wound up with scratches on her own eyes. Oh. Um, there were other problems um, that we ran into with her that I didn't understand until many years later. Um, so the way it shaped me is that I know pain. I've witnessed it, and there are syndromes that we children of Holocaust survivors inherit. Some say genetically. Yeah, I understand I it. that. And if only I could have taught my mother what I know now, maybe I could have made a difference. But instead, her suffering was 100% unjustifiable. No way this should have happened. But I am determined that I know this. To be a vehicle by which some people's suffering ends. And beyond that, I, it's not just about ending suffering. It's about bringing happiness to people that my mother only knew intermittently. Very intermittently. And so... That is a driver. That is a driver. I'll tell you a story. 
Um, may I keep going? Yes. This is this is really cool. A couple of years out, my mother died in 2012. A couple of years later, I get a Facebook message from my brother. He says, get a look at this. And I'm not sure that you could see it. But you see this picture. Yeah. And it was from a street photographer in New York City, a real artist. And it was depicted New York City, 3rd Avenue, 1978, the year after Fran and I got married and moved away. This woman in the white dress is named Bess Myers, and she was a Miss America and a very well-known New York celebrity. And right here in the foreground, this angry lady with the sunglasses and the angry pursed lips with the exaggerated corners, he labels her the Joker from movies. That's my mother. No. Yeah. So some random shot of some woman on the street by a street photographer in New York City, snarkily calling my mother the Joker. What? My brother got a little angry. Um, and I, I, you know, I can understand that. But I messaged him and I said to Mr. Sandler, the woman you depicted as the Joker was my late mother, who's a Holocaust survivor. I'd love to talk to you about her life so that you could be a better artist. So, of course, he apologized profusely. I said, no, she had a sense of humor. It's okay. And we became friendly. A couple of years, not many years later, about eight months ago, he sends me a Facebook message. He says, um, uh, uh, an art gallery in the Bronx is doing a retrospective of my work. May I use your mother's picture and talk about it in an interview? I said, of course. He sends me the news article of this thing coming. It was on the anniversary of my mother's passing. Oh my gosh. I called, I said, we have to talk. He said, yes, we do. It gets even better. He, I talked, I talked to him by voice for the first time. And he said to me, I, first of all, I told him that the coincidence is ridiculous. He said, what's even more ridiculous is a dealer, a gallery in France called me and wants to pay me serious money for your mother's picture. And he never had a dollar. Wow. He was a starving artist. He said, your mother's an angel. That, that's just beautiful in such a redemptive way. Yeah. And especially because it's like you, there, there's, you were justifiably like, okay, to have the same response that your brother had. Yeah. And reaching out to the artist and being like, look, you depicted my mom yeah. wrong. How could you? You didn't yeah. know. But instead, you opened up a conversation and you shared something. And somehow in the midst of it, she gets honor. And at the same time, he gets um, some sense of recognition. Yeah. Like, like it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. I showed that picture to my rabbi when I first saw it. And I explained to him the coincidence, just a random shot. He said, God's telling you something. You just have to figure it out. And better, richer, stronger is born. Wow. And, and honestly, that's what, um, you know, my mom um, mm. passed away prematurely when she was 62. Oof. And um, it was such a, it was difficult for our family. Let's just yeah. say that. And I remember in the wake of it being like, 
all all of us in the family don't necessarily know exactly what to do because she was like the matriarch. She was the leader. She held things together. But more than that, she just brought so much love. And then here she's gone. And I'm thinking she wouldn't want her departure to make me bitter mm-hmm. or to bring me down, but she would love for it to be a match that can incite in me even more passion to make a difference mm-hmm. and take the gift that she had poured into me my whole life and use that to shine even brighter, to touch lives. And that's exactly even what you're doing. Like, I just, I love that because today's day and age, I we don't have a lot of honor when it comes to like legacy honor. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's like my best life now. It's all about me. I want to do my own thing, be my own person. And there's nothing wrong with the be my own person and do my own thing. But in the midst of that, we lost honoring those that sacrificed for us that gave everything so that we could have this chance at life yep you know the universe tells you stuff the universe tells you things and you just have to be alert for it you got to see it and some people can some people can't some people will some people won't but i think for people like you and me um the gift comes in a the journey and b the giving and really doing, it's about doing things for others. Really, what is, our, what is our whole economy based on anyway? Making things or doing things for others. Yeah. So if you emphasize the doing things for others or the making things for others, then the reward comes back not only materially, but in other ways too that enhance your life. So Alan, here you are, you're going you know, I don't know, 28 years, 30 years, I don't know when this exactly is in dentistry. And then all of a sudden, all these things are happening and you realize, okay, I I like, I need to step up. I I need to write this book. I get it. It's my turn to lead. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like for you? Like, was that something where there was ever some sense of imposter syndrome? Oh my gosh, maybe the time's not right, or I'm a little nervous or or was it just one of those things that there was a grace and you were like, you know what? I absolutely know this is what I need to do and I'm just going to face it. And, and there wasn't any sort of tension attached to it. Yes to both. Yes to both. Um, I, I have imposter syndrome all the time. I got on a group coaching call last night with my, with my group and I'm thinking, what am I, I have an outline of what I want to do, but is it going to, is it going to be okay? I get up to speak and I, I get a dose of it until I first start running my mouth. And then as I get into the groove of it all, I understand that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And as my, my talks or my coaching sessions or my group sessions go along, um, it, the voice inside of me is saying, Hey, this stuff's pretty good. I don't know how you're doing it, Alan, but this stuff's pretty good. And it's better than it was a couple of years ago. It's not as good as it's going to be a couple of years from now, but it's pretty good. But oh, I, 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 imposter syndrome all the time, all the time. I love that because the point of this podcast, Alan, is for what I always say is I know dentistry is advancing and I know it's going to be great in 10 years. And I see all these pioneers that are helping to make dentistry great. And I look to the left and my right, and I see that we're all advancing dentistry together. Mm-hmm. And because we, some of us know each other, we're able to enter into some sort of synergy, yeah. um, maybe do collaborations, partnerships. That's great. But when I look to the left and the right, I also see vacancies. Mm-hmm. And I realize there's still some people on the sideline 
playing it safe, wondering, yeah. uh, I don't think I'm ready yet. Um, maybe, maybe the time is still out there, or maybe I'm not skilled enough yet, or, or maybe I just need more certainty or more of a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, and they just keep waiting. And my encouragement in letting pioneers like you share their stories is that people realize like, there's no better time than now to just follow that passion that's on their heart, yep. write the book that's in them that only they can write, you know, and maybe not everyone's called to be a speaker. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. I want people to have permission to pursue what it is that's burning in them. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? What is the worst thing that's going to happen? I, I was deep in the hole in my forties and fifties. What's the worst thing that could have happened that I didn't write the book. That's the worst thing that could have happened. I think telling a story, telling your story is important. Uh, Brene Brown has done some incredible work encouraging people like me and like you to really get out there and do it because I am imperfect. I am enough. And not, not a single one of us, anybody listening to this, who looks at you, who looks at me and sees something. Well, I'm glad you see it. I'm glad you see a happy, successful guy. I'm glad you see a guy who's really into what he's doing at an age where most people think I should be sitting on a rocking chair um, doing nothing. By the way, the big problem with doing nothing is you never know when you're done, but we'll get into that another time. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you got one shot at life. And the more you make other people's lives better, the more you make your own life better. And if you do try out of the goodness of your heart to try to bring good into the world, and it doesn't work quite as well, then you dust yourself off and go to plan B. But never stop, never stop trying to do something impactful or contributory in the world. I don't even know like exactly where dentistry would be if you hadn't decided to just step up and step out and share your story and be like, hey, (laughs) I wasn't doing great. Yeah. When everyone else was says they were doing great or when I felt like I, I should have been doing great and there's this natural shame or stigma mm-hmm. attached to, did I do something wrong? Like, w- was I inadequate? And yet you had the courage to just face it, own it, and yet they always say pain is actually the best teacher. It is. I mean, and, and I don't encourage anybody to seek pain. I'm not into that show. No. <laughs> I haven't. I'm, no. <laughs> not into that stuff. But you look at, uh, you know, I'm working on another list of Alan's Dirty 30. 30 words that you should never, ever use. Failure is one. I can't is another one. Mm. I'm afraid of is another one. These are dirty words. Replace them with curiosity. Replace them with connecting with your true self. Can't go wrong. Okay. Like, I just love what you're doing. So if someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, I want to learn more about uh, what Dr. Alan Stern is doing, how I can either get the book or be part of um, your, your coaching or, or where are you going to be next? Uh, where do you want their eyeballs to go? Um, my Facebook group is the best way to go, Better, Richer, Stronger. Email betterrichestronger at gmail. I do have a website. It's a little stagnant. It needs some work. Uh and I'm starting to learn Instagram. Look out. Once I hit Instagram, oh, my goodness gracious. But fa- my Facebook group is very active. I've got 3,200 people in there. 
I've got interviews. By the way, you're going to come on my um, my video cast sometime soon, sir. Um, I'm from New Jersey, so we will either bribe you or blackmail you, whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll have fun with that too. But I've got all kinds of really good things going on there. I have a thought of the day that I broadcast on there. Um, it, it's all pretty good stuff. And um, it's the best of it's me. It's me unexpurgated. And if you like it, if you like what you hear, join me. And if, if it's not for you, and, and you know, you can't be all things to all people. There are wonderful people out there doing similar work. Um, um, Laura Schwint, Karen Tindall, Laura Brenner. These are all people that you know. Uh, I know our friend Lauren King. I just got to have lunch with her. I mean, there, there's a lot of really brave, heroic, brilliant people out there. Somebody will resonate with you. Hmm. Because you know as well as I do, Sean, wherever you want to go, no one gets there alone. Amen. If you want to get there fast, do it yourself. But if you want to get there and stay there, find somebody. I did. I have a handful of coaches that I work with all the time. Mark LeBlanc, Margie Schaller, Marilee Sears, Mary Osborne, Joan Unterschutz. Countless people have helped make me what I am today and keep me there. So, And they have coaches. Everybody needs somebody. So if I'm the right guy, honor me. Give me a call. If I'm not, I can find you somebody. Helen, you're just a rock star. Even for, like, talk about honor and generosity in action. It's oh, like, I'm saying, let me put the spotlight on Alan. And you're like, here, here's how I can share about <laughs> five other contemporaries and, and five other people that even that I went to. Um, I love your heart to serve. Okay, so here's the final question. I don't know if you're ready for it. You probably are, but um, you're born ready. So here ready. it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> so so here's the question. You're walking down the street and you see 18-year-old Alan in the distance and you know you only have a brief moment to communicate one sentiment to him. What do you share? Stay the course. Lose the doubt, stay the course. Well, let that be the bow on top of this episode. Um, to all of our listeners that that's it like stay the course don't give up like alan was saying earlier find what it is about you and just own it it's going to be your quickest way to success and fulfillment and liberation that comes from just being in the gift that you are and not trying to be something that you're not uh, alan it has been such a, a joy and an honor to get to interview um, you and, and honor you as an innovator, oh, as a pioneer. I love what you're doing with your Facebook group. Um, if people haven't heard you speak, it is an utter delight. Uh, your book is amazing. I am in your corner 100%. Thank you so much for letting me interview you I today. Thank you, no, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.